This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hello, I'm Sam. And how do you plead? Guilty. Guilty of bringing all our listeners back to another episode of John Bottleshire. That was horrible. We're not redoing that one. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. That's right. We're here week in, week out, investigating some of the most interesting problems in all of maths. I'm very excited about today's episode. And why is that? Well, I want to talk about one of the coolest things ever imaginable in all of what? Are we talking about statistics? No, oh. not yet. First, we're going to talk about time travel. There we go. And in particular, how it's presented in science fiction. Have they got it right? Have they got it wrong? Yeah, there's loads loads of cases that we're going to have a lot of fun talking about, I hope. Well, if we are going to talk about them, then I think we've got to issue a massive spoiler warning to essentially all science fiction stories. Yeah, we're going to be just going through everything, aren't we? Indeed we are. just been told by the producer that i didn't actually introduce myself so i'm clearly a uh, a non-entity on this uh, <laughs> on this podcast this is louis yeah he's here if always. only that i could go back in time and and change the introduction oh brilliant lovely segue into what's actually going on well we want to talk about time travel and firstly i need to preface this with what time travel actually is so one of the most famous of the early time travel stories is a book by H.G. Wells. It's called The Time Machine. It was published all the way back in 1895. Crazy. Like It was just so ahead of its time. But in this book, the protagonist creates, you won't believe it, a time machine. Really? Yeah. And travels to the far future where he meets descendants of modern humans. Crazy. Yeah, I've always enjoyed the story, but I think it's a bit limited. So Wells creates a time machine that can go anywhere in time, and he makes the protagonist go a few hours into the future, and on a bit further into the future. Well, th- th- that's a bit like like Google Maps, right? Did you ever do this in school where you would go into Google Earth or Google Maps and you can go anywhere on the planet? You go absolutely anywhere on the planet. And what's the first thing you do? My home. Yeah, you type in your own address. It's not unfeasible to think that we'll just go a little bit into the future to see what it's like. Well, if we did have a time machine, I think the question is, where would you go? Where would I go if I have time? I think you mean, when would I go? There's going to be a lot of this. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of this. Where would I go? Oh, that's such a good question. I would like to go to the invention of calculus. I, I want to go to... And so you can patent it. Is that why? <laughs> you can claim it as your own? No. Well, I just want to go and visit Newton in his little house where he stayed during the plague and just see his thought process. What about you? Well, I think... Sort of the big inventions of the 19th century would be cool. Uh, think about uh, the steam train, the motor, the telegram, uh, aspirin, x-rays. There are so many things that, of course, we take for granted now mm-hmm. that seeing it being made the first time has been wild. And you, would you want to patent that? I, I, don't, I, I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, going back to this uh, book by Wells, since the 1900s, since it has come out, there's been so many more appearances of time travel come about in all of science fiction. It's, the book is, itself has been turned into various comics. I think there's also a movie adaptation somewhere. Yeah, some of my most prevalent childhood memories of watching Doctor Who and Star Trek now need to feature loads of weird and wacky depictions of time. You've got 
time loops, episodes where the ship is split into different time zones, the use of time as a weapon, where it erases civilizations from the past. Uh, you've got episodes where they go back in time to another episode from 30 years ago as an anniversary special. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Just thinking about it, though, did you know we're actually time travelers ourselves? Because right now, we're moving in the forward direction of time at a constant rate. Because you know, I'd say when people say they want to time travel, they mean they want to change the rate at which they travel. We're just moving along this line of perception at a constant rate. When people say they want to time travel, if they want to go into the future, they'll want to travel faster. Or if they want to go into the past, they'll change the, di the physical direction of travel as well. And what the going forward in time is actually possible. We'll talk about special relativity in just a moment. But yeah, as I say, more often than not, people just want to change the direction of travel, go into the past. Well, I think that's what makes people's brain go to a bit of mush, you know. It's the most idealized form of time travel, but it comes with loads of caveats, mm -hmm. this whole backwards time travel stuff. I think the main debate is whether there are actually any rules, you know, can you travel in time to time you've experienced before or is this past to... time travel? Well, that's the key thing because past times travel is just what most time travel stories are based off of the idea that you can yeah. punch through the time barrier and yeah. go go the other way. Well, we'll be talking about all those events in due, due course, I promise. But we should first probably talk about and resolve the easiest case, which is how we can and actually already do time travel into the future. <laughs> to think about time travel into the future, we're going to need a bit of a prior understanding of special relativity, which you might know is Albert Einstein's first massive breakthrough in physics and it was 1905 he then did general relativity 10 years later but in short einstein said that the closer an object moves to the speed of light the slower it perceives time and because of that it ages slower compared to all the objects around it so in other words the ideas of space and time are relative to each observer and their speeds hmm, i can't really wrap my head around that how would an object go through time at a slower rate Okay, so this is the best analogy I can give. Think of me driving on a motorway, pretty speedy at 70 miles per hour, and you've broken down on the hard shoulder. You're just there. You're watching me fly by. And we can agree that according to you, I'm traveling at 70 miles per hour. Suppose I've got a ball in my hand and I throw it out the car, I suppose, at a, we'll say a generous 10 miles per hour. From my perspective, it will fly out at the suspected 10 miles per hour because I'm going along with the flow of traffic. But from your kind of side perspective, the speeds of both objects would add up. I'm already traveling at 70 miles per hour. So to you, the ball would fly out of my hands at 70 plus 10, 80 miles per hour. Do you get that? Yeah, I could see that, but what's that gonna do relativity exactly? Well, in general, you can add speeds together and everything works out fine, but it, it's strange when we're talking about light. We talk about speed of light so often, it's a constant, it's the universal speed limit. No objects can move faster than the speed of light, is this, because the particles of light, also known as photons, have zero mass. Because they don't have any mass, they don't interact with something called the Higgs field, which means that it doesn't have anything slowing it down. So an object with mass will only weigh it down and result in a slower speed. But we're just gonna assume the speed of light is constant, and it acts as a speed limit for any object in the universe. It's approximately 300 million meters per second, but not everyone thinks like physicists. So 
670 million miles per hour. Does that work better for you? Yeah, I think so. Okay, that's fast. That's just unimaginably fast. But suppose I'm back in my car now and I flick on the headlights. From my perspective, the light from the headlights will travel outwards at this 670 million miles per hour. Mm. But using the same logic as before, you as an observer would see the light leaving the headlights at 670 million plus 70 miles per hour. But you said that the speed of light was a constant and it's got a limit, so surely that's not right. Exactly, that already tells us something strange going on. Speeds can't just be added together. And the solution was developed by Lorentz and you have to multiply the speeds by an extra factor. It's called the Lorentz factor. And that depends on your speed relative to that of light. And so since throwing a ball at 10 miles per hour, that's ridiculously slow compared to the speed of light. The extra Lorentz factor is negligible. So it just seems like speeds can be added together. Right. So that means in reverse, when an object moves closer to the speed of light, any additional speed won't count at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's what gives the speed of light its limit. But how does time come into play with this exactly? Okay, so you remember the speed-distance-time triangle from physics. Yeah, but I think by A-level physics, it wasn't really discussed. You sort of had to just remember the formula. Well, anyway, the equation speed-distance-time, it tells us that time is the ratio between distance and speed. So if the moving object is traveling the same distance, but the speed is relative to the observer, then time must also be relative to the observer. You get what I'm saying? Right, yeah. So I think I see what you're saying. There. Okay. So in the language of special relativity, this is something called time dilation. From my perspective, time is evolving slower, basically. And I am then aging at a slower rate than you. This is, of course, only relevant when you're moving close to the speed of light. I'll give you this example, then. If I left Earth, I'm on a rocket ship. If I left Earth on a five-year round trip, traveling at just 99% of the speed of light... I would have returned aged only five years, sure. But unlucky for you and everyone else on Earth, you would have aged around 36 years. And then you would have really become a time traveler. Yeah. And the math behind it is not actually too complicated. Um, it's not it's complicated enough for me to speak about it and go through. But you can just imagine physicists trying to wrap their heads around this when there were no cars around to use a reference point. Well, it wasn't until 1971 that scientists had a proper go at trying to find some experimental evidence of special mm -hmm. relativity. So there was a famous experiment. I, I can't remember the name, but it was about atomic clocks. You know, oh, yes. Around Earth. That's the Hafila Keating experiment. That, yeah, that's atomic clocks, and they were they flew around Earth, didn't they? You'd be doing your homework. Well, when you said that we're doing a you know, special relativity episode, I thought I should probably see what you know, it was all cracked up to be. Anyway, back to the experiment. Yeah. So you've got about four cesium-based atomic clocks. and they were they're flown the around They're the most accurate ones. Yeah, yeah very accurate. And they were flown, was it twice around the Earth mm -hmm. on the commercial airlines? First, first was eastward, and then they did it westward. And when it was compared against the clocks back at the observatory, they followed Einstein's theory. The clocks actually ran slower. Yeah. Now, as we say, airplanes can't really go close to the speed of light. Yeah. So that's probably why they had to use very, very high-precision clocks. Yeah, exactly. In theory, then, if we had rockets that were manufactured to travel close to the speed of light, then we could travel to certain points in the future. Isn't that the plot point of Interstellar? Ah, I see what you're doing. Almost. They did have time dilation, but that time dilation was due to the strength of gravity from other planets and the dual black hole that was there. This is general relativity. Mm. It's far more complicated to talk about, so I won't do that. What about Lightyear? Lightyear had some time travel shenanigans. Lightyear. Surely. Oh, the, the Buzz Lightyear film. Yes. Yes. 
so that that was the story behind it's the story behind Buzz Lightyear from Toy Story. I think here's the plot: the in an attempt to test the limits of human rocket science, you had an astronomer, Buzz Lightyear, and he was a test pilot for aircrafts trying to reach light speed. And he succeeds on many occasions, but he lives through so many generations in the space of one year. The writers depicted future time travel rather accurately, but, spoiler warning, there comes a scene revealing that the evil Zerg was actually Buzz himself from the future, <laughs> returning in time to warn Buzz of the future events. Which, I mean, we've already discussed future time travel, but that seems to be going back yeah, that, that, That's where all hell broke loose. I remember because I, remember, I went to cinemas to watch it. You could tell who the physicists were in the audience because there was just a slight groan. Because they're like, oh, we know that future time travel is possible, so they're doing a good thing. And then they just bring in past time travel. One would argue that the only explanation of past time travel was because they were using technology that humans weren't able to be capable of within Buzz's that, lifetime. That's often a common plot hole, isn't it? Mm. Well, let's talk about why it's not as easy to travel backwards in time, then. Okay, so the actual logic of backwards time travel is quite a lot of fun, but it does lead to a lot of paradoxes. There's so many paradoxes. And perhaps the most famous is the grandfather paradox. Now, suppose that time travel does exist, and decide to go back in time to kill my grandfather before he met my grandmother. Well, two things. First, you're cynical. Don't Awful. worry, I'll never do that. Good. Good stuff. But secondly, that would mean your family bloodline was never continued past your grandfather. So you would never have been born. But if you were never born, you're then incapable of traveling back in time in the first place to kill them. So that's just a contradiction. Yeah, it would be a very uh, sticky situation. Now, this was something toyed in in Back to the Future, where Marty begins to fade away while playing at his parents' high school dance. <sighs> I love that film with all my heart. It's amazing. If we travel back in time to kill my grandfather, by changing the past, I would create an alternate version of history sitting parallel to my original universe. Now, suppose I then move forward in time to when I know I last left. Now, which timeline would I end up in? Would it be the alternate Louis-less universe, or would I have jumped back safely to my original universe, or would I just fade away? Well, that, that relates to, I think, the second Back to the Future movie. So if you recall in that one, it's 2015 Biff, and he goes back in time and gives 1955 Biff the sports almanac. And this is just a magazine that has the results of every single sports fixture just in the, that 60-year period. And it, they just sent, set him off on a journey to millions because he didn't, went into loads of betting and all that. But Martin Doc returned to an altered dystopian version of 1985, which is, uh, from Marty's perspective, his presence. But Biff returns to 2015 after having given the younger version the almanac, and the timeline is unaltered. So you just most likely go back safely to your original universe. Yes, right. but there is actually a deleted scene of 2015 Biff fading away. Now, but, yes, of course, deleted scenes aren't canon to the story, but I think they're canon to the Back to the Future rules of time yeah, travel. The key question is, when does the change happen? If not instantaneous, how long does it take? And will it affect me before it affects other people? Good point. Because that's become more of a, I think, a multiverse question than a time travel one. Because there's so many different interpretations of what could happen, and each idea is equally as plausible as the next. Because if you go back and do an alternate timeline, you're just creating so many different branches that send you to parallel universes. Oh, that's crazy. Okay, what we have to do is consider the instances where we actually can or cannot change the past. Because there is a distinction, isn't there? Yeah, this part of the podcast 
is based on the work of Nick Effingham, a professor of philosophy at Birmingham University. Now, he helps to classify the two main ways of time travel, Ludovician, where we cannot change the past, and non-Ludovician, where we can change the past. Now, Sam, okay. can you think of any of this in fiction? So, Ludovician is where we can't change the past, so everything's already fixed. Well, one of my favourite films of all time has got to be Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, because they go back in time, and they don't actually change the past. There's also the Terminator and I think 12 Monkeys. Yeah, yeah, I love 12 Monkeys. I watched it a while ago. I think it's more of a study of the psychology of time travel because mm -hmm. surely going backwards and forwards in the timeline is definitely going to mess with you at some point. Yes. I mean, we like, we like time travel, but I would definitely not want to. I'm I'm not for that, but yeah. I like it's a great so. Movie, yeah. so under this Ludovician time travel, you would fail to kill your grandfather because you've absolutely no sense of free will. Even though you possess the power to travel back in time, the actual killing never occurs. So many things can happen. You you might not be able to find him. You might kill the wrong person. Or you could just miss by the opportunity by a fraction of a second. It would be as if time itself is preventing us from changing the past, ensuring there's only ever just one true timeline. Yeah, that's the sort of thing we see in Prison of Azkaban. Mm -hmm. Harry believes his dead father is saving him from a a sea of dementors and of course when he travels back in time he sees the event but from a different perspective a lot of things about perspective in this uh, yeah. this podcast uh he doesn't see his father but instead the dementors are slowly going towards his past self it turns out that it is the present harry who's the one to cast a spell in the first place so you got that loop that loop in time yeah we'll talk about loops in just a moment i think but let me think about non-ludovician time travel then because this is the kind where characters can change the past whether altering an existing timeline or creating new ones entirely. I mean, we've already mentioned Back to the Future. That's one of them. And some of the other favorites, About Time. Love that film. And all of like Bill and Ted's excellent adventures, they fall under that category. Another example would be A Sound of Thunder, where a time-traveling tourist merely stepping on a butterfly causes a small but devastating changes to the timeline. Mm. I think that's where Butterfly Effect... No, yeah, that's uh, a bit in the Chaos Theory as well. Mm, we'll leave Chaos Theory. To another podcast. We will, we will. Um, you've also got the ones in Doctor Who, uh, Waters of Mars, where the Doctor is able to save people who are destined to die. Mm -hmm. But I would argue that for the most part, the actions of the Doctor and companions, what they do in the past, actually cause the timeline that we are familiar with. So, right. for instance, fires of Pompeii, the Doctor causes Mount Vesuvius to erupt in order to defeat aliens. Well, hang on, that's basically in Ludovician time travel. The Doctor goes back in time to do something. But what he does, out of his supposed freed will, causes Mount Vesuvius to erupt. So it could be argued that the Doctor was always meant to destroy Pompeii. Yeah, it's always a, a fun thing where people are trying to prevent a past event mm -hmm. actually cause it. Yeah. So maybe that would be classed as Ludovician. I mean, we already said 12 Monkeys. Uh, Day of the Daleks is an example yeah. of people trying to prevent stuff that actually means that they cause it. If you want to listen to more of our uh, ravings about Doctor Who time travel, maybe check out Hussock Podcast. Hussock Podcast. And tell me, Louis, who hosts Hussock Podcast? I think I do. You think you do? I'm right, though. Because in most sci-fi stories, stories, characters who travel back in time, they're able to influence the past. But I think what's strange is that there's an inconsistency. They've got, for instance, Star Trek has loads and loads of episodes about time travel. But, you know, you can have somewhere time is unable to change. Mm -hmm. And then a few episodes later, time being allowed to change. It is just, it's maddening. Let's just actually go back to the original problem. Under non-Ludovician time travel, you would succeed in killing your grandfather. Yeah. However, 
we still have that paradox of, you know, the loop of events doesn't really sit right. Now, we tried adding extra universes, but we didn't really like that. We're, we're, we're different to that. Why do we try to add an extra dimension of time? So what, what do you mean by that? Well, this is the concept of hyper time that acts as a supplement to our regular time. Every time we go, every time, every time we go backwards in time, we go to a different hyper time. Do you have any like examples of that? Yeah, yeah. So um, Effingham uses a good example of uh, Pyramid of Mars, which is a Doctor Who story, mm -hmm. where a companion says, look, this evil villain, I've seen the future, we're going to defeat him, it'll be all right. And the Doctor goes, hold on, takes the companion to the future, a.k.a her present and yeah. says look at this destruction we failed in the past and what is strange is that you've just got different timelines going on at the same uh, the same moment you've got yeah. the part where earth isn't destroyed because the villain was defeated the part where the doctor and companion left and therefore earth was destroyed and they go back in time again and everything is well it can be explained via a hyper time the fact that we're going backwards in time essentially we're allowed to do a little reset we're allowed to start from the beginning again to correct the timeline right okay applying that same logic to the grandfather paradox then our grandfather will be dead in one hyper time frame but then not in the other yes yes so you can think about it on some kind of axis and then you go back onto that same branch but you're experiencing a different time i'm getting that different hyper time yeah if you'd like to learn more about this please do check out the metaphysical possibility of time travel fictions by nick effingham I am still left wondering, though, if I were to succeed in killing my grandfather, would I just fade away like Marty? That's an interesting point. Because if you did kill your grandfather, or, well, perhaps less psychotic, just altered the way in which your parents met, would it fade? Or, as I said earlier, would it be like an instantaneous change? Well, again, there's the paradox. Your existence would be in a state of both true and false. Because, you know, the first loop where you did kill your grandfather, and then... You're the second loop where you didn't kill him, and uh, that, result, that, yeah, that results in you never being born. Yeah, yeah. Like, how can you have these two realities coexisting? Well, that, that's the idea that two realities can't coexist, but that only seems true when you think of time being linear, where every event to ever occur in history could be labeled on a single strip of paper. That's what being linear means. So, two timelines occurring at once they could be thought of as like opposite sides on the same strip of paper and you can't cross over that boundary that is the the, uh, the bit you need to go over. So to solve the paradox, we've got to think extra-dimensionally yeah. a non-linear view of time where the two states of an event can both occur. Yeah, um, I think in the language of physics, it's better to say your existence is... Well, I think it's like in a superposition of the two states. You're both alive and dead. Schrodinger. Yes, that would require you to be able to cross over the barrier of time. Yes, but only if you actually do think of it as being two sides. You can think of it maybe as a one-sided shape. A Mobius strip. Yes, uh, that's what I was going to. So since there's only one side on this Mobius strip, again, yeah, for those unfamiliar, a Mobius strip is if you just take a piece of paper and you tape the two ends together, but you kind of twist one side, you will end up with a one-sided shape. Try it. It's fun. But yeah, so since there's only one side on this strip, one side of time, two different occurrences of the same event can coexist on the same timeline, and I think it's solved. And this is what I think. If you've seen Avengers Endgame... No. No, you haven't? No. You've not seen... Oh, fantastic movie. Well, I've got to watch all the other Marvel movies. You do. That, that's a bit of a rabbit hole in itself. But Tony Stark tries to solve time travel 
and he's coming up with loads of simulations and he just says, oh, view it as a Mobius strip and then it works. So when modeling time as a thread on a Mobius strip, he used the ideas of superposition to jump between the events without causing any paradoxes. All right then, so I think the question has been answered. I would fade like Martin, but only because my existence would be phasing between states. That's arguably a worse situation to be in, I'd argue. No, I'd argue not. You could you could walk through walls. I mean, I would walk through walls, but what if I get stuck there? Oh, true. I'd be like a, a face on the wall. Horrible. Horrible, yeah. Let's end our podcast with a talk about the causal loop, sometimes called the bootstrap paradox. You're a musical man, aren't you, Sam? Yeah, I, I try. I try. So if time travel existed, which famous composer would you go back to see? Ooh. And again, and you're, you're posing some good questions today. Who would I go see? Well, I, I, am a, I am a fan of jazz. So I think one of the early greats, like Duke Ellington, maybe, Charlie Parker, I think, he's, oh, he would be so great to go and watch. Okay, so suppose that you go back in time to meet this fella, Charlie Parker. Mm-hmm. But you go back and no one has heard of him. No one has seen a hide or hair. It's almost like he never existed. You think, hang on, I know all his standards. I know everything that he's produced. And then you begin publishing his work under his name. So then I, I would become Charlie Parker. Exactly. So that, Okay, well, this is the question, then I see this. Where do the real works originate? There's, there's no discernible point of origin. A most ingenious paradox. A causal loop, then, is where an object or information appears to exist in a perpetual loop with no way to determine how it initially came into existence. The first thing that came to my mind was entropy. Mm, what's that? Because, well, entropy re- refers to how the universe is just, it's always in a gradual decline into a state of disorder, mess. I think the best way I can explain it is in terms of art. Imagine I take the real Mona Lisa and I go back in time and I try to influence Da Vinci before he does it. But as I return, unbeknownst to me, Da Vinci just takes the painting and claims it as his own. That painting is now in a loop, right? Because he claims it as his own, then I steal it, take it back to him, then he publishes it, then I take it back. Well, the painting in a loop, so surely the painting would get worn down over time. What I would say is that the bootstrap paradox is more of a way of pointing out logical inconsistencies of time travel rather than explaining it itself. Right. Okay. However, let's try to give it a bit of thought. Would time, in a Ludovician sense, protect the painting from erosion? To, or, or would yeah. entropy just eventually lead the loop to end and collapse the paradox? Surely you can carbon date it, though. If you were to carbon date the painting, yeah. would you see it is going older or sort of time be making younger so i mean this is not more about time travel it's more about the bonds that are holding painting together right get stronger that's interesting so time is i'm not a chemist i'm just no 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 but time itself is doing something to keep that painting well alive maybe it does age as it goes from da vinci to me but as i take it back in time it becomes restored to its own, back to its original bit. Surely anything else, if you were to go back in time, like your clothes would then get younger. You'd get younger. You know, you'd arrive back in, in, in oh. Italy and you'd be a little embryo. Or maybe not even an embryo, maybe nothing. Well, whatever the answer might be, I think the loop in time is always a fun concept to see out. And uh, Yeah, well, great, and so yeah. is a time loop. And that's, that's what we see in uh, the Groundhog Day. The same thing. Is that, that's the same thing as a causal loop. Um, 
not entirely. Uh, a time loop is where time itself is constantly resetting, usually with our protagonists immune or slowly becoming aware. Okay. Whereas a causal loop is where an object or information within time is unchanging and self-fulfilling. Right, I get you. So, do you think we've uh, solved the mystery of time travel? I'm definitely not sure. Mystery unsolved. But if there's a load of time travel fiction out there waiting to be unleashed, I think we'd both love to hear it all the fun stories because then we can just analyze them and see if it is true to it i mean is there anything true to time travel we don't know because again it's just a thought experiment if there's future time travel love to explore that that's what i thought with Lightyear. i thought when Lightyear is coming out you just hear his grievance you can hear his grievance i am i am when it came out and i was watching it i thought oh wow they've just gone so true to relativity and then the whole thing with the past time travel came in i was like oh I mean, Planet of the Apes, I thought, would be another example of mm. that sort of thing. Yeah. Where it's just, they travel in time because they... I they can, know. they're curious. That's the same thing yeah. as the, the original book by Wells. He just went into the future to meet the descendants of well, humans. Uh, Spo- of spoiler was, alert. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Planet of the Apes wasn't sort of uh, a plan. They thought, we're going on a t- on a space adventure. Oh, look, we're on a random planet. I, I, I wonder what planet it is. Yeah, they went, they went on a time adventure. Did you ever watch Planet of the Apes? Yes. 1968. <laughs> well, yeah, I watched the original one. It was. I was gonna, uh, it go did, on. it's, it's not really aged well. Like, I'd the pr- say the it's pr- aged. But the production, perfectly. the production, not great. I think. I think it's fine because I mean, it's yes, it is, yes, it is the late 60s, but for what it is, the message, the actual like, the models actually look good for the. Yeah, I the suppose age. so. What are you suggesting? I mean, the f- if you talk about special effects, and I think you understand. Yeah, yeah, but it, it was ahead of its time, I suppose. You maniac. Right. Well. Thank you for listening for this episode of Chorbot Ultra. We hope you found it as enlightening as we did. Yeah. Join us next time as we delve deeper into the wonders of maths. And again, don't forget to follow us on our Instagram page at Chalkboard Ultra. You'll get to hit all the latest updates about our next episodes and our newest guests. We'll see you next week. Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.